Mark chapter 10. Let's begin in verse 13. It says this, Then they brought little children to him, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, and he laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. Uh, this moment here is recorded in Matthew 19, Luke 18. Uh, it's something that stood out to the disciples. They saw this happen, and the beauty and simplicity of it both captured them and really has captured Christians down through the century. There's so much Christian history and art even around this moment, seeing what Jesus, the image of God, shows us about children. Uh, this was in stark contrast to the ancient world. There was one professor, English professor, who went so far as to say classical literature knows nothing of children, but Christian literature is full of children. And this tells us something very important here. Sadly, in our society, children have become more of a hindrance or an interruption or a problem. Some people, having a child is literally the end of their life. Their life is over if they have a child. I know it's kind of funny, but sadly it's also not because that's how some people feel. And Satan's no fool which is why children in our society are literally under attack from the moment they're conceived. Uh, if you will allow me to draw this out a bit, because I think the background is at least important. You just think of a child entering into this world. On average, about three or four million kids are born yearly with one million abortions, uh, at least registered abortions. That's a pretty high percentage of kids that don't even make it through the womb into the world we live in. And when they enter the world, the epidemic of broken families is where most of them enter in. And I'm not talking about just parents who are divorced or parents who are single. What I'm talking about is brokenness in homes. Even if the people are married, no parental love, selfishness, how it all plays out. It's why we see so many grandparents even today having to take care of their grandkids as the role of a parent. So little thought of living for anyone other than ourselves. The corruption on top of that, of the society that they enter into, literal intentional defilement through cultural progress, we could call it, or what people call it. The graphic and child pornography that pervades the internet is basically a guarantee. It's not if you see this in your life, it's when you see this in your life. You would think that the attorney generals from California and Florida wouldn't agree on much, but attorney generals from California, Florida, Kentucky, Massachusetts, New Jersey, PA, Tennessee, and Nebraska all agree on something. They all agree that TikTok is worth investigating. Pretty crazy, right? 
about a billion people on TikTok right now. Uh, more videos watched than YouTube, more app downloads than Facebook, more hits than Google searches. It's pretty crazy how basically if you have a young person, they're on TikTok and the, the government that we live in is investigating them because all of their algorithms basically feed known harmful and mature material to your kids on purpose because it ends up being money. And they know this. This, is, this isn't even just like a really conservative parent, right? These are states that are very different on political spectrums. And there's worse things than that. Congressmen from both sides of the aisle are looking into sites like Pornhub or OnlyFans because they agree we know we are filtering things that are incredibly harmful, particularly to young people, to them on purpose. Because we also know if we hook them young, we'll make money through their life. On top of all that, our trusted figures, people such as parents, teachers, doctors, counselors, are the ones teaching four to eight-year-olds that they could be whatever gender they want. Their body parts don't teach them what they are, that are constantly encouraging people that are too young to make the types of decisions that will alter their life forever in terms of hormones or surgeries. And it's not just in one place. This is the culture that we live in. And with that sexualized culture, the thing that they don't like to put on the news or they'll put it up for a day, is that there's a rot underneath of all this of sexual abuse that has become rampant. And it's starting to come out, not just in trusted institutions, right? Places where you should be able to trust the people, like the Catholic Church, we know that. It happens in Protestant churches. The Boy Scouts were took to court. If you don't know this, the Boy Scouts of America, because of the sexual abuse there and the cover-ups, they thought it would be a few hundred. 92,000 cases were filed against them. Happened in three years. Literally, just at a Dallas Mavericks playoff game, a 15-year-old was abducted and trafficked. Dad's sitting in his seat, and she doesn't come back from the bathroom. You wouldn't think that would happen at a playoff game. And that's not to talk about secular institutions, daycares, schools, the gymnastics fiasco and scandal that came out, places that you wouldn't expect it. And on top of all that, it's still, in most of these cases, a family member or somebody connected and what happens is the enemy is creating a soil, a soil that produces something. It's not one person or one thing that will change things. And, and when a kid gets old enough, he begins to look around society and become hopeless because of the things they see. Just look at the news of Philadelphia for one week. I think I looked this morning, two people shot in West Philly, four-year-old shot in West Philly, two people killed in Kensington, 
Like you can move down the list. And people wonder why the rates of suicide, drug use, cutting, mental illness, depression, loneliness, like why are all these things soaring amongst youth in our culture? How come? Why can something as horrible as the school shooting we just saw happen? Because this is what American culture is producing. This is what's in the soil. And why do I bring this up? Because of politics? No. Because of parenting? Not directly. I bring this up to say that there's a spiritual war going on for the hearts and minds of children in our day and age. It's not safe to be a child in our culture in general. It isn't just the perpetrator's fault because they're also deceived. They're caught up in the wave and the lie. They're just a part of it. But all those little parts thrown together produce bad fruit. And Satan hates children. And under his influence, life becomes dangerous for them. And that's what we can see in the world that we live in. And that's why I think it's so important for us to look at Jesus and remember what he thinks of them. What does Jesus think of children? How does he interact with them? Now, again, I'm not trying to scare everybody to death. Like, we were thinking about having kids, and now we're not having kids. No, that's not it. I have two children. Noah brought kids into the world that was literally entirely against them. We shouldn't be fearful to do what the Lord would have us to do. But God kept Noah and his family. But Noah was not ignorant of the world that he lived in. He knew that it was going to be judged. He wasn't tempted to be tied into it in ways he shouldn't be. And I think for us, we shouldn't be fearful, but we also should not be ignorant of the world that we live in and the battle that's going on around us. And it's encouraging for me, and I think for us, to look and say, okay, Jesus, where are you in the middle of this? What's your heart? So let's look again. Verse 13 says, they brought the little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Then ties us to the last section. Jesus was just talking to the Pharisees about marriage and divorce. And he establishes marriage in the home in a way that is, in fact, so strict that even the disciples look at each other and they're like, man, maybe we shouldn't even get married. And, and he has just sanctified and solidified that home. And it seems like he's still sitting in the same house. So the then gives us the idea that the parents who are hearing this want to now bring their children to Jesus, which seems very natural. The word that Mark uses here for a child or a little child can be basically any child from birth to 12. Mark 5 uses the same word for a 12-year-old girl. Luke, though, in his account, uses the word that's more common for infants. So it seems there's a wide range of youth. Parents are there. They're hearing Jesus talk about the home. He's arguing with the Pharisees. He establishes God's purpose in marriage. 
in the home. And these parents then, encouraged by that, bring their children to Jesus, notice with the intention that he might touch them. Not just something magic, they, they knew that wasn't what was happening, but there was a cultural expression in that day of a Pharisee or religious leader or someone who was higher and more spiritually mature laying hands on and blessing. So that was their intent. They wanted a, a blessing for their children in bringing them to Jesus. Certainly a good example for all parents who are still under obligation to bring our children to Jesus, even the ones that don't know it, like the infants that were being brought. God has ordained the home and the church as the two institutions of Christian maturity and growth. These are the places where our kids are supposed to come to know Christ and learn discipleship, to grow in him. On the other side of this, though, we see the disciples seeming to think that Jesus' business is too important for these kids to interrupt, as adults very often do. This uh, exact motive we don't totally know. It doesn't tell us what they were thinking. I'm sure it wasn't malicious. They knew Jesus was a healer. They knew Jesus was the teacher. They were hoping Jesus would be a military messiah. I'm pretty sure they were just, in all of those things, you kind of look at a seven-year-old and you're like, you don't really apply here. You know, you don't need to be healed because you're fine. Uh, I'm not sure if you're going to get what Jesus is teaching, and you can't carry a sword, so maybe you're getting in the way here. That's my guess. They just felt like Jesus had something a little more important going on. The tenses are the parents kept on bringing the kids, and the disciples kept on rebuking them. So it seems to be something of an ineffectual rebuke anyway, uh, because there's a bit of a commotion going on. And... Jesus is going to find this scenario happen. It says Jesus saw it. The reality is, of course, we don't want to be caught in the position of the disciples hindering people from coming to Jesus or parents bringing their kids to Jesus. Sadly, many homes and churches can get in this position where we are not encouraging but hindering. It's very easy to push our kids to all types of things, right? We can push our kids in sports and academics, but when it comes to spiritual matters, I was like, yeah, you know, I don't want to force them too much. Same thing with churches. They can pour out resources in all types of areas when it comes to kids. You know, how much are they going to get? They're not going to understand this Bible study. We'll let them play some games and give them whatever, you know, some candy and pizza at the end and You have an 18-year-old graduating who had a bunch of candy and pizza and entering into a world that is against him or her. We never want to fear bringing our children to Christ. I understand there's some backgrounds where people have come out of legalistic scenarios and we, we can be fearful of that push. And certainly we should all be fearful to bring our kids to a false Jesus, but we should never be fearful to bring our kids to the true Christ who he is in reality. And we don't want to be found like these disciples becoming a hindrance because, verse 14, when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. And he said to them, let the little children come to me 
and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Greatly displeased, maybe your Bible might say indignation. The idea is the only time this word of anger, pain, a deep feeling of that is used of Jesus' emotions. Jesus is not happy. So he is not happy with what is happening here. He's not happy about being protected from these children and their interruptions, their innocence, and their simplicity. The disciples remember that. They probably didn't have a ton of scenarios where this was true, but they turn around and look, and they're like, ooh, Jesus is not happy right now. His response of indignation, even towards these disciples, as I said, they didn't have a malicious motive. I'm sure in their minds they thought somehow they were helping. They were allowing Jesus to do important things. Uh, If this is Jesus' response to those who are doing the wrong thing, not maliciously, his response to those who would keep children from him maliciously is pretty stern as well. We know he says in Matthew 18, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Jesus takes what happens with kids seriously. His command is clear. It's not just a suggestion. Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. That's heaven's eternal children's charter right there. Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. Children are to have access to Christ. The children of the kingdom are making their way to the king. What could be more natural than that? That was what was happening. The fault in not reaching them at the moment was in the disciples. They were a bad reflection of Jesus' attitude. That's why he's upset. May that not be our failure. It was Moses' failure. He became a bad reflection of God's attitude. In our homes, how we represent him is important. In the church, how we represent him is important particularly to young minds. Jesus takes this seriously. And you have to take this here. He takes it seriously because we can't miss this. Jesus believes that children are capable of receiving the grace of God in their own way. It's not because they're going to come and nothing's going to happen. It's because if they come, something will happen. They can receive. And he doesn't want them to miss out on what they can receive. I believe it was Robert Murray McShane. Somebody asked him, Pastor, how his service went. And he said, great, two and a half people got saved. And they said, what, two adults and a kid? And he said, no, two kids and an adult. Because <laughs> they had their whole lives to live for Christ there. Harold St. John said this, Many Protestant churches are either merely marking time or even withering at the roots because Christ's little ones are neglected and the chief energies of their members are devoted to adults. Rome is wiser. Our culture is not dumb. They're seeking to keep kids from Christ. 
Are colleges actively seeking to tear down any type of Christian indoctrination or life? It's good that our life is supernatural and not natural. Right? But Babylon could take three years, it believed, to re-indoctrinate the kids that it brought. It's just there were some unique guys in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego there. Certainly, again, we as parents can neglect the influence that we have that God has given us. Social media actively working against that influence, right? Even if your kid is not looking at something particularly wicked at the moment, what you're doing is farming out your influence. As a parent, you send your kid to go look at YouTube videos, and when they see a hundred different YouTube videos with over a million views each talking about people should be able to love each other no matter who they are or what gender they are, and you as just a parent are saying, yeah, but that's wrong. Parent doesn't know anything. Millions of people over here. Right? That's, that's why when things like that happen, adults are often shocked. And I guarantee you this, the kids' friends aren't shocked, especially the ones who are online with them. Because they see the pressure, the influence that we can easily surrender our kids to unwittingly. Jesus takes serious his own influence. And he wants these kids to be brought to him. I'm biased, but I appreciate Calvary Chapel and our emphasis on a youth ministry, the children's ministry. I got two little girls back there right now praying for them. People who jump in and serve there. Junior high ministry. We should all be thankful for junior high ministry. And anybody that's willing to go to a junior high retreat and sleep, kind of, with junior high kids, right? It's a sacrifice. We all joke about junior high ministry until you have a kid in junior high and you're like, no, that's serious. Those kids, they need godly adults. Right? High school ministry. What, what happens here? We realize that Christ can have an immeasurable influence on a life. And nothing should get in the way of that. And Jesus is angry because he doesn't want to be misrepresented. And he doesn't want these kids to be kept from the blessings that he has for them. Notice he says, for of such is the kingdom of God. For of such describes the qualities and characteristics of something. The kingdom of God is like this. So he says in 15, and notice he says this to the adults He's not teaching the kids here per se. He's being an example for the children, but he's teaching the adults. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter into it. Jesus declares that the blessings of the kingdom have to be received like a child. Not while we're children, but as a child, like a child. It's, there's a reason that in most studies, when people look at this, when it comes to salvation, most people get saved in their youth when they are younger as opposed to older. And the reason is not because of age, it's because of attitude. Because in youth, there's a different attitude. As we get older, we get harder. 
The children weren't coming to Jesus as equals. There's a lot of people that want to come to Jesus as an equal. Can't approach Jesus as an equal. He's God. It's not, it's not just some man. And if you approach, approach him as an equal, if you're too intelligent for Christ, too mature for Christ, you're not going to receive the blessings of the kingdom. He says, again, if we don't come, don't receive the kingdom of God as a little child, we will by no means enter into it. That is a double negative there. No, not enter. He, Jesus says this moment is really important for kids and adults because if adults don't understand that the way these kids are coming to me is the way you have to come to me too. You're going to miss out on something really important. You also will not receive the blessings of the kingdom. And Jesus is teaching his disciples and those parents wisely listening in that the kingdom and his blessings are there for anybody who simply comes expectantly and believing like those children how did you come to Christ in the first place? You have to believe his word. You have to believe that he is who he says he is, the son of God. And when he says that your sins are forgiven, that he loves you and he gave himself for you. Do I believe that like a child? I don't have to sit down and defend myself with a doctorate when I tell my kids that can't come to Christ have demands to come like a child and we get saved like that but then sometimes we get too smart and we think we need to continue on a different way no 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 we get saved like that and we continue like that because it's still just as incredible that he would extend any blessings of the kingdom to me and we're still not equals He's still the Savior and the Lord. And any time I come to him, I have to come to him as one of these children. And how quickly we can lose our childlike faith. C.S. Lewis famously said, When I became a man, I put away childish things, including the fear of childishness and the desire to be very grown up. He was willing to write a children's book called The Chronicles of Narnia. That man has blessed a whole lot of Christians all through the ages. People who have read it. It's a blessing. And for us, I think to, to remember that we have to continue to come to him expectant. Zacchaeus is willing to climb a tree to connect with Jesus and receive his blessings. If, we, if you had to climb a tree to like jump into the building to get here today, probably a lot of us wouldn't have come. But the idea is just, hey, that's not, adults don't do that. We don't do that type of thing to get to Christ. We've become very grown up. And this passage is teaching us something more than how to be good parents. It's teaching us how to be sons and daughters of God. Something we desperately need to know and believe in. Like, I don't have kids. That's fine. You are a child. 
And it's encouraging for us to see how God feels about those who approach him in childlike simplicity and hope. Not intelligence and maturity. Those things are there. But not at every stage of the Christian walk. And that doesn't mean I can't have his blessings if I don't know enough. I'm never going to know enough about the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm never going to be mature enough to somehow earn his blessings. I have to come like this. And it's very possible for us to forget that. It was important for the disciples to remember and these parents to remember, not just for their parenting, but for themselves. But it filters down. It is very possible for a parent to have concern for their child's spiritual life and very little for their own. But the reality is usually it's the opposite that happens. The more likely scenario is if you feel what Jesus is doing isn't that important for you, it's not going to be long before it's not that important for your family either. Like If it's not that big a deal that we're at church for me, then it's not going to be that big of a deal for my kids either. It'll filter down. And maybe there's some of us here who simply no longer believe that Jesus has any worthy blessings for us. Or maybe we've forgotten that. Maybe hopelessness or doubt or unbelief, maybe just worldliness and laziness are keeping us and our children away from the blessings of the king. That's not what he wants. That's not who he is. We're his children too. What did God do for his own son? Did Jesus enter in the world with no blessings? He had angels appear, blessed the whole world at his birth. He sent him shepherds who knew the good news and went around and told everyone. Sent him wise men who gave gifts. When his own son entered into the temple, he had a godly Simeon and Anna there to take him up, bless the Lord, and bless his parents. Before he stepped into ministry, the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He cares. He cares. And it shows in 16. This is, of course, the most beautiful part. After he says this, and I guess the room is very quiet at this point. Especially because kids are like, if they see their parents getting rebuked, they're like, Right? Don't laugh, we might get it later. I think he's very quiet here. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Again, do we want to know what God thinks of our children? Well, here it is. What would Jesus do if he came into your classroom, or your ministry, or your home? Look here. Luke eighteen sixteen tells us Jesus called them to him. Come on. Called them to him. And the tenses here are that Jesus takes them up, one by one takes them up, and blesses them individually. Each and every repetition of blessing is a rebuke to the disciples' attitude. Jesus had time for each and every individual child. He doesn't just give a an overall blessing. He takes up each kid and blesses them individually. He had been them. He had lived their life. He entered into the world as a babe. 
He lived life as a kid. He knew what it was like. Maybe some of us forget what it's like to be a kid. Those are some rough years. If you remember, nobody wants to go back to their junior high self or their younger self. If you do feel like you want to go back to your junior high self, I'm sorry. It means you have not matured very much through the years. That's, that's a tough time. Jesus takes them up, blesses each and every one. And the word for blessed is a verb used only here. It means intense, fervent blessing. Could it be possible that this intense, fervent blessing made no material difference in the lives of these kids? Of course not. Of course it made a difference. Was it worth the effort of the parents? If not, then why did Jesus so forcefully rebuke his own disciples? Of course it was. It was worth it. And look how freely the blessings of the kingdom are given. They don't owe him anything. They don't have to do any favors. It, it is who he is. Who he is for my children. God bless my daughters. And who he is for me. God bless me too. It is who he is. So freely given. Every disciple of Jesus in the room today certainly needs this heart toward kids. But we also need it toward him. And if the king accepts them, then the kingdom and those in it have to do the same. If the father of the household welcomes them in, then the family members have to do the same. If the spirit blesses them in their innocence, then we must do the same. These weren't all angel children, just so you know. And we think, like, none of these kids were rascals or something. Of course they were. Freely, one by one, intense, fervent blessing for each and every individual kid. That's what Jesus does. So what are we to learn? Two things. First, we're to see and emulate God's heart towards children. The world is the opposite. Our families and our churches should be different than the world that we live in. If it's Jesus' desire to take up our children and bless them when they come, how can we not do the same? And how can we not bring them to him expectantly? One author said, every hand laid on a child was also a hand laid on a mother's heart or father, a parent. That's the idea. How can we not do the same? Matthew 10, 42 says, Whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of the disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Jesus said, anybody who reflects that attitude, you give a cup of cold water in my name, you will by no means lose your reward to a little one. I like that name, little one. I say that, hello there, little one. That's Christ's heart and his attitude. And the second thing, and maybe the most important thing that we're supposed to see and learn, is God's heart toward us as a father. We are his children. That's why Philip would say, Jesus, show us the father, 
and it'll be sufficient. And Jesus will say, Philip, how long have I been with you? And still you don't know me? This is the Father. Aren't we his children? Aren't we his sons and his daughters? Do we think hard thoughts of God? Have we lost our expectancy? Do we no longer have a desire for the blessings of his kingdom? Or maybe we think that somehow they're not available to us anymore. Matthew 7:11 says, "If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him?" He's like, "You're evil. <laughs> you know how to bless your kids. It's not about who you are, it's about who I am." If you ask, what type of father do you think I am? How more can he prove his love toward us who came in the flesh to sacrifice himself for us, a ransom for our sins? Romans 8.32 says, He who did, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It's different for me. You don't know what's going on. I knew better. I've been walking with Christ, and I walked away from him. I'm, I'm in a mess. All I can say is look at Jesus. Do not fear, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is who he is. Let's not forget it. Let's stand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we thank you for your riches in Christ Jesus. And we thank you that for the eternal ages, we're going to be learning about your goodness and your kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, you know where each and every individual son and daughter of yours in this room stands. And I just pray, Lord, that you would give us expectant hearts, childlike hearts to run to you in simplicity and in faith. And, Lord Jesus, certainly that you would bless those of us here, Lord, with little ones and allow us to be your representatives to them in this world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.